I want to begin this morning not by encouraging you, perhaps by grossing you out, perhaps by ruining your appetite, but there'll be time enough to get it back. Picture me, picture with me, if you would, being here on a Saturday afternoon, which is traditionally when we have weddings. Here for a wedding, everyone's excited to hear the music shift and change so we can all turn and look and watch a beautifully, tastefully adorned bride in a white dress come down the aisle traditionally right there. It's exciting. It's awesome. We're waiting. But then let's mess the story up and assume that just before she enters to come down the aisle, beautifully adorned, she goes out in the parking lot, proceeds to climb into the dumpster filled with garbage and maggots, and then walks down the aisle. Sorry. You say, I can't even imagine that. That's disgusting. That's gross. That's not fit for a Sunday morning sermon illustration. You're right, and I apologize. But it is a worthy picture of how distasteful and how wrong-headed and how crazy it is to think that we as Christians are the bride of Christ, beautifully, tastefully adorned, spiritually white because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, and then for us to proceed to act in sinful ways as if it didn't matter. That's crazy. It's crazy. It is, how about this? It's crazy to think that salvation is by our works. That's crazy. But it's also crazy to think that we can be saved according to the shed blood of the Lamb, regenerated by the power of the Spirit, new life, and not look like it. And not have evidences, to not have fruit, to not have good works that follow the good work of Jesus that is for us. Titus, the New Testament book of Titus, which we'll look at this morning, deals with both issues. There are common errors to Christianity. There are common pitfalls. There are common struggles. They'll keep happening, no doubt, till the Lord Jesus returns. Titus deals with both of them. Or the Apostle Paul deals with both of them in the letter called Titus. Because there are false teachers that want to say it's Jesus and, and it's not. It's not faith and works, it's all the work of Christ. But there are also those false teachers that would want to get our attention and confuse us at times, that would want to suggest that you can be saved by the blood of the Lamb, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and then He leaves you alone. No. When God causes us to be born again, we were dead, Ephesians 2 would say, and now we're alive, we'll actually be identifiably alive. Not because of our goodness, but because of His power and because of what He's done. So there, I just settled all the controversies for the next thousand years. (laughs) It's easy to say, but we'll keep dealing with this issue. And Paul deals with the issue in Titus. And so if you would turn to Titus chapter 2, what we're seeing in Titus chapter 2 in the opening 15 verses would be the emphasis on if you are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, you should live a certain way. 
because you're a Christian, not to become a Christian. Add to the color, add to the mix in this letter. You've got Paul writing to Titus, who's a pastor, who's to establish a church in a town called Crete. Not Crete, Nebraska, where everyone is evil, lazy, and... No. In, in Titus, that's what's said of the people who live in Crete, by the way. That's why I say that. People who live in Crete, Nebraska are, are wonderful people. It's a tough crowd. It's a tough environment. It's a hard place to do ministry. It's also tough because Christians sometimes are known to behave badly. Okay? And because they're behaving badly, and here's this church in Crete, in the Mediterranean, and they're to be evangelizing their culture, and they're to be telling people the good news about salvation in Jesus, but there are enough Christians who are behaving badly that people don't even want to listen to them, because if that's what salvation means, if that's what it means to be a Christian, yeah, I've had an employee who's a Christian before, I don't want any part of it. And so it's in that kind of context that we have our letter. And so let's think about our world that we live in, because we have people all around us that we want to tell the good news to. We, we want to tell them about Jesus. We want to tell them about the hope of eternal life and what it means to be forgiven and what it means to have peace with God. And if they trust in Christ and Christ alone, they'll have peace with God. We, we, we're eager to do this. We're, we're called to do it. We're commanded to do it. We're called to be ambassadors and telling the good news about Jesus. And yet, sometimes... Our conduct is so bad, so dumpster maggot-ish that people won't even give us the time of day. And sure, we could say, well, God is sovereign. It's not based upon... That's all fine and good, but Paul doesn't go there in Titus. In Titus, he wants them to be an evangelistic church because Christians are supposed to be, period, and it's a privilege. But he also wants to make sure that they understand that they're supposed to act a certain way that could, to borrow Titus's phrase, and I'll, we'll get to it this morning, that could adorn them, okay? The bride I talked about was adorned with filth and maggots. That doesn't make sense for a bride. Well, it doesn't make sense for us as the bride of Christ to be adorned with filthiness, what we would want to be adorned with, complementing our whiteness, our purity in Christ, adorned with good works that complement the good work of Jesus. Okay, you ready? Okay, last week we looked at the opening verses. Uh, we're looking at basically verses 1 to 15. Uh, in 1 to 10, we, we have a call to action, okay? How we're supposed to live. I'm just going to review that, how we're supposed to live. But then we have why we're supposed to live like this in verses 11 to 15. So we'll go super fast in the opening verses, and then we'll slow it down a little bit on the why. There's something in me that wants to flip it, and I kind of already have in the intro. Why should you live like this? Because Jesus died for you, and there's power in that. Now you should live a certain way. Well, Paul doesn't handle it that way. He's like, here's how you're supposed to live, and then I'm going to tell you why. So let's not try to improve upon inspiration. This is how it's supposed to be. Um, here we go. Here's how we're supposed to live. Verse 1. But as for you, that would be Pastor Titus, teach or command literally, teach what accords with sound doctrine. 
in Titus, sound doctrine would be gospel doctrine, the truth about Jesus. It's what people, it's what people need, even if it's not what they're looking for. It's healthy. And he wants to, to tell him to teach what accords with it, teach what complements it, teach what fits with gospel kinds of teaching. Okay? Then we, we have the specifics. Look at verse 2. Older men are to be sober-minded or clear-thinking, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Super simple list. I think we should just keep it simple. Those are, just, those are good works. Those, those are fruits of salvation. There are things we can work on and get better at and we can grow in godliness. We can work out our salvation with fear and trembling like Paul would say in Philippians. But those are basic character kinds of qualities. So mature men are aiming to be these kinds of men. Self-control, sober-minded, clear-thinking, loving toward others. It's a pretty basic list. I'm not sure why we don't build men's ministries around such simple things. It's pretty much blocking and tackling. Right? Mature Christian men are these kinds of men. So older men, act your age, you know, spiritually. And these are the things to focus on. These are the things to pray for the men in this church. These are the things we're really looking for. These are the things that will, to borrow from what Paul will say later, that will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior, that will complement salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, when we see these kinds of things. So if you're trying to simplify your life, men, making priorities, not so God will accept you, but because you've been accepted in the Beloved, these are really the things we're looking for. And maybe even when I come to you and guilt you about doing all kinds of extra things, you might say, here are my priorities, Pastor. I'm working on these things. Could you help me with these things? It may not look like a best-selling book, but it's really what God is looking for. Basics. Are we at verse 3? I think we're at verse 3. We talked about the details last time, so I'm going to move on. Older women likewise. Or similarly. The list should look similar. There might be some different emphases, but it should be similar because we're, we're all Christians. Are to be reverent in behavior. So they, they belong to God by their behavior. It looks like they belong to God. They're different. They're not slanderers or malicious gossip, some translations say. They're careful with the way they speak, in other words, or slaves of much wine. They are to teach what is good. Verse 4, And so train the young women, now we have younger women involved, to love their husbands and children. As I mentioned last time, probably your closest neighbors, if you're married, and if you have children. It's just doing something basic, right? God says, love your neighbor. Well, guess what? Prioritize your closest neighbors. And again, if I'm going to give you a guilt trip, ladies, 
about doing this, that, and the other thing. If you're going to be spiritual, you really have to rise above. Be willing to say, one thing I am trying to prioritize would be loving my neighbor. And my closest neighbors right now are my children and my spouse. It's all I can do right now. Thank you for rebuking me. <laughs> okay? I mean, we, we want to... I, I want to understand these things as a pastor. I want you to understand them too and say, these are my priorities. These are the things I'm to excel in. These are the kinds of things that complement, that adorn the gospel because they show basic level fruitfulness. Blocking and tackling in the women's league. Okay. It's basics. It's basic things. We want to excel in these things. Isn't it interesting that oftentimes later in life, the people we go to for wisdom and insight aren't the people that, you know, do the 360 behind the back dunks to mix up my analogies. They're the people that we've observed doing basic things well. It's almost like we've grown up in our perspective, and we say, what, what, am I, what am I really trying to accomplish here? I'm really trying to accomplish doing basic things well. I'm going to find people who do basic things well. It doesn't maybe have the pizzazz. It doesn't have the flash to it, the, the, the celebrity status to it, so to speak. But it's really what life is about, and it's what the Christian life is about, doing basic things well in light of the gospel, because of the gospel. To be self-controlled, verse 5, he picks that one up with everybody. Pure, it would seem morally pure. Working at home, in contrast to many in Crete who are lazy. They're, they're hard workers. Isn't that interesting? Salvation isn't by works, but it produces works. You're not working hard at home so God will accept you one day. You're working hard at home doing basic things well because God has accepted you. Kind, from the word good good toward others, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled, dishonored. And let's think of that in terms of, yes, in order of order within the family, but let's even see that last statement as related to all these things, that the word of God may not be dishonored or reviled. Because isn't that how it is? We're trying to tell people about Jesus, and they say, if you're what a Christian is, I don't want any part of it. It's, it's a reviling of the word of God. It's a reviling of the gospel. And again, I'll be the first one to say, we don't live the gospel because we're not perfect. I think Paul would be the first one to say that. But we are called to live a certain way in the light of the gospel that adorns the gospel, that complements the gospel. Okay, new stuff. Here we go. Let's keep going. Verse 6, likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. That could be a sermon series. I mean, that's the big one. It's a pretty short list, young guys. <laughs> Probably difficult, yeah. We're going to have a self-control ministry. They'll come by the droves. Trying to teach fruit of the Spirit again, self-control, 
There's a time to say no to what you would naturally want and to say yes to what you would not naturally want. There's something extraordinary about it. Self-control. I find it interesting he doesn't tell us how to do it. So as a, as a quick aside, I, I think we should get nervous by people who give us lists on how to do it. I admire people who have self-control. I just don't want them to give me all kinds of new laws on how I have to have self-control. Looks different in different people's lives. We are to have self-control. It adorns the gospel. It adorns the doctrine of God our Savior. It's going to look different. Because everything is inherently good unless it's used sinfully in a sinful context. So we could quickly, easily fall into the trap of some sort of new kind of legalism. Asceticism. Where you go without, go without, go without. And here's how I do it. And I'm going to tell you how to do it. And if you're really godly like I am, you want... And now we fall into this false teaching called asceticism. The main thing is, don't sin and do good. And what that looks like in your life and how you practice it and how you try to get better at it, I don't know exactly what that looks like. I'm thinking of examples, but I don't even want to go there, you know? I kind of want to go there. <laughs> Right? We have people we admire and they, 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 they refrain from certain things that aren't sinful things. Maybe for health reasons or whatever it is. And we say, you know, I kind of admire that that person can do that. But don't turn it into some kind of new law when God says, everything I've made is good. No, it's very good. It's just for a certain thing. It's for a certain context. Just be careful. But in my life, I want to have self-control and I want to say no to sin. Yes, we can do that one for sure. And I want to say yes to godliness. We can do that one for sure. And maybe there are other areas in my life that I can work on that will, that will complement that. I need to be the kind of man that can say no to things and the kind of man that can say yes to things. This is true for men, women, Old men, young men, right now we're just focusing on the young, but self-control is, is for all of us. Okay. Said more about that than I thought, but I am a pastor. <laughs> Trying to be funny, not working out. Um, verse 7. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. Now he's shifting back to Titus, I think. Show, he could be talking about the young men still, but it seems to be back to Titus. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. Once again, did I skip a, a verse? No, okay. Salvation isn't by works, but there's a place for works. It comes as a result. And here it is. Let's keep reading. And in your teaching or in your doctrine, show integrity. Okay? 
teach what, according to verse 9 of chapter 1, is as taught. Okay? Show integrity in your teaching. And he says dignity. One Greek scholar suggests that the idea here in this context is seriousness, sobriety. Serious matter. You're showing integrity in your teaching and you're showing dignity. You're serious about what you teach about God and salvation and sin and these things. Verse 8, and sound or healthy or accurate speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. See, there are opponents and they want to speak evil and say the message is illegitimate because of... And he says, Titus, you need to have integrity in your speech. You need to have integrity in what you teach and how you teach so that when they make the accusations, they don't stick. You're teaching sound things. It would seem in this letter... For sure, for starters, you see a difference between salvation by grace alone and salvation by works. And yet you also see that you should have works that come as a result. He seems to be talking about content more than whether or not he says bad things, although the Bible would deal with that later. He's talking about his teaching, it seems. 1 Timothy chapter 6 talks about those who teach a different doctrine, a different teaching. That's bad. That doesn't have integrity. You need to teach what agrees with sound words, the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the teaching that accords or complements godliness. That's 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 3. Titus, focus on those things. Prioritize those things. Okay, let's move on to verse 9. Bondservants. Workers, probably by our application in 21st century America. Workers are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering or stealing, but showing all good faith or faithfulness or reliability is the idea, integrity, trustworthiness, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. That's where I came up with that, borrowing from that place. He's been saying that in different ways all along, but I just like the way he says it there. Workers, employees, you're to be submissive. You're not peers. You might be fellow human beings, but when you clock in, you're you're under authority. And you shouldn't be the worst employee, those Christians. You should be a great employee. You just do your job. I signed up for this. This is what they told me they would pay me. So this is what I do. It's pretty simple. I know it's not simple. (laughs) Right? But sometimes Christians are the ones that people don't want to hire. I know some of you that when you're, and this is a little bit different setting, when you're going to hire a contractor and you look in the phone book, I know some of you, if you see a fish symbol, those are the exact people you count out right away. Christians. They think wages are by grace. (laughs) Doesn't make sense. You hire them to work hard and do a great job and then you pay them. That's category confusion. (laughs) 
But Christians are supposed to have a Christian work ethic, which would come from understanding the gospel, that it's only by grace, but then you don't make a category error. Then you understand that you actually want to excel in good works. You you do want to be the best. Because you actually care about your Christian testimony, your Christian witness, and you want to silence those who are opposing that. I don't have a fish on my car because I'm going to cut one of you off and then you're going to curse me. (laughs) Stupid Christians. So I've got a Darwin... No, I don't. (laughs) On the way out, we're going to give all of you the Darwin fish, put them on your car and drive like the devil. (laughs) Totally kidding. It's reverse evangelism. In seriousness, it's going to be tough, but in seriousness, fish or no fish on your car, you actually do want to be a good driver because you actually don't want to be an idiot and a jerk because you actually want to have your conduct reflect who Christ has made you. We all have good enough theology, that's probably not true, but most of us, most of you, have good enough theology to understand salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. If you've been here more than five minutes. But we're called to live a different way now. Will we perfectly? No. But do we now have power, spiritual power, to overcome sin? Yes. That's all. That's a big deal. Okay, let's move on to the why. Verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, which is awesome, right? It's appeared, and he's talking about how it's appeared exuberantly, abundantly, climactically, the grace of God has shown up before this, by the way. But he's talking about extraordinary, full gas. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Even Cretans. Okay? Even Cretans. I don't think he's teaching universalism. He's not teaching that no one will go to hell. He's brought salvation to all kinds of people. Not just Jews, Gentiles, even Cretans. Slackers, right? Lazy gluttons, they're the bad people. Extraordinary salvation that even they could be saved. Wow! All kinds, all types, even the ones that we think are unsavable. Verse 12, training us. Oh, this is fascinating. This is the cure to, if you want to use a big theologically fancy word, this is the cure to antinomianism. When people say you're saved and then you just live however and it doesn't really matter. No, 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 no. Grace of God has appeared bringing salvation. And what does that salvation do? training us. It's a a salvation that disciples. It's a salvation that trains. It leads to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled. Ah, that's where the self-control comes from. 
upright and godly lives in the present age. I mean, we're all waiting for seeing Christ and being, being made like Him. We all want to be glorified, but he's, he's now dipping back into the present age. We're waiting for the coming age, but in the present age, salvation in Christ, which is by grace alone, through faith alone, right? Teaches us, it, 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 it disciples us, it mentors us, it empowers us to live differently. It adorns us. This is why I'll say... Part of the design of the atonement, okay, I'm using atonement broadly, the the redemptive work of Christ. Part of the design, the way God made it, is to save us, to justify us, to declare us righteous, to have us... It's, It's to bring life. It's to bring good works. So it's not that we're saved by Christ, and then it's all you, and it may or may not happen. No, 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 no. It's right there in the text. It's right there in the text. It trains us. Godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope. Oh, okay. That's even part of it. We're waiting for that, that, the fullness of it. We're waiting to enter into that. We're waiting, waiting to experience what's promised to us in Christ because He's been raised from the dead. We're waiting for glorification. And, and how about the fact that He spoke of perseverance earlier? That, that, that right there fuels it. Christ is coming. He's returning. And and that fuels a drive to keep on and and to be motivated. And I want to please Him and honor Him. And then I'll be fully glorified and it'll be awesome and I won't struggle anymore. But in the meantime, this is part of the the, the, the motivation. The, The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us. How about this? From all lawlessness... And to purify for himself a people for his own possession. How we belong to him. Who are zealous for good deeds. Or good works. Huh. It's extraordinary. I want to take you, if you're, you're struggling, or if you're not struggling, to the cross for your good works. And not take you someplace that's divorced from the cross and the gospel. It's fruit, fruit of the work of Christ. It comes as a result. It's, it's pretty awesome stuff. It's designed that way. Maybe I should say, just understanding that doesn't guarantee self-control. <laughs> so you can discount what I'm saying and say, yeah, that's fine and good, but it doesn't guarantee my self-control, practically. Yeah, but, but, but let's at least start there, huh? Let's at least start by understanding this. Maybe we can work out some practical ways where you can understand so that it can happen in your life. 
and God gives us relationships and practical ways to work on things and, and we're part of the body of Christ where we work together and we grow together. Absolutely, it's more than just knowing these facts. But I want to suggest to you, and I want to plead with you to believe me in light of this text that we can't bypass the understanding of it. So we're at least there this morning. You need to understand that spiritual growth is tied to the work of Christ. And even in this letter, we have these false teachers being dealt with who appear to be saying, it's this special new law. I've got a secret. Whether God has talked to me directly or I've had some special tutelage and mentoring by somebody else, but if you want to get your sanctification jump-started, you know, come see me. No, it's not about the haves and the have-nots. It's not about the secrets and the extra laws. It's ultimately about the gospel of Christ and, and what's there, what's available to us. To make us zealous for good works. I am zealously opposed to those that say salvation is by good works. And you should be too. But I also want to be zealous for good works because of salvation. I was dead and now I'm alive. I had no self-control. And now I can have self-control. And again, as the old saying goes, I'm not the person I want to be, but I'm not the person I used to be. Because of what Christ has done. It should be motivating. This, I guess I just, you just move on. I just want to keep fleshing it out a little bit. Verse 15, declare these things. How about that? Paul saying to Titus, a pastor, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. So as you're disregarding me right now, I say, stop! Well, that wasn't what I was taught by my... Repent! <laughs> the work of Christ trains us to do good things. So, in light of the first ten verses, I'm here to tell you, do good things. If you're an older man, a younger man, an older woman, a younger woman, stop acting badly as a Christian. Start acting goodly. Good works come as a result. Yeah, but that's not what the book said that I read in the 80s. Well, you should throw that book away. We'll have a book burning at my house like the good old days. It's been a long time. When, Omaha, when I first came here as a pastor and, you know, it was like 24-7 church kind of stuff went on. And in some ways that was bad. In some ways it was good. And it was like every Sunday night it was my house in my backyard. Church wasn't that big anyway. And the neighbors probably hated us, so we stopped, right? Good works. Anyway, we would burn some doozies, wouldn't we? <laughs> New people would come to Omaha Bible Church and think like, what kind of cult is this? 
And I'd say Acts 19.19 has them burning their pagan books, so let's go for it. Who brought something juicy? I think the last book we burnt was a Joyce Meyer book. Praise Jesus. And it was opening up in some kind of eerie way. With her denials of the Trinity, it was burning. Well, I'm being a little bit lighthearted about it. Sorry if you like Joyce Meyer. You should stop. <laughs> then it just got too weird. People started bringing eggs. and Anyway, we, then, it, then it did become a cult, so we had to stop. <laughs> I, the reason I went down that road is we... we we, this, this is a hot topic. It's been a hot topic. Faith and works. How does it work? I so want to emphasize to you and to everyone I talk to that salvation is of the Lord, that you will be thinking that might mean we can live however we want to live. Because at least then you understand it's all of Jesus. That's what happened to Paul in Romans. Right? Chapter 6 is like, should we just sleep around then? No! Right? Should we just do whatever we want to do? No, 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 no. You're united to Christ. You should have good works. You should bear good works. So let's so emphasize it's all of Christ that people say, does this mean we can live however we want to live? No, it doesn't. Because tied to the design of the atonement is the fruitfulness in the good works that come as a result the debate won't end. And someone will accuse me of teaching salvation by works because I said what I just said over here. But read Titus 2, 1 to 15, especially toward the end. But read the rest of the book and you won't be a legalist. You'll be a gospel believer that says it's all the work of God. That's all. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10, it says, We've been saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, so that no one may boast. Does it not? That's 8 and 9. And then in verse 10 it says, For we are His workmanship, His masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus. He's, he means saved, recreated, created anew, created in Christ Jesus for good works so that we would walk in them. Okay? You need to have a category for good works. You just need to have them in the right category. They come after, they come as a result. But they do come. That's all. Okay? This is exciting stuff. God, help us as older men, younger men, older women, younger women to do the thing we were saved to do. And that is to love you and love other people. To act like true human beings. To do so in a way that would honor you and please you. So help us as we leave today to, to act more humane, to act more human toward others 
And certainly to act like those who've been made in your image and who worship you and honor you. Help us to not fall into the trap that is the trap of self-righteousness. But help us to see Jesus for who he is and by the power of the Spirit of Christ live in light of what he's done. Thank you so much for your kindness, patience as you shepherd us and take care of us. In Jesus' name, amen.